It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Greetings, and welcome to a place where faith transcends boundaries, and the warmth of community extends through the digital realm. Today, we gather not in the pews, but in the pixels, uniting hearts and spirits from every corner of the world. We are honored to present to you the insightful guidance of our cherished minister, Dr. Rob White. This is more than just an online church. It's a sacred space where the digital divide disappears, and unity in faith prevails. Athens Universal Life Church, where the divine meets the digital, and your spirit finds solace and connection. Now, as we commence this spiritual journey, join us in embracing the wisdom and devotion of Dr. Rob White. Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today, we open in your word, we want to hear your voice, we want to hear what you have to tell us, what you have to show us. We ask that you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to what you have to show us and tell us today. We ask this, Lord, as we come to you in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our gospel lesson today comes from Luke 7. 36, all the way up to 8, 3. Now, it sounds like a lot, but it's really not that many. Starting at verse 36 of Luke, chapter 7. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town, who was a sinner, found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. And Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. A creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with a fragrant oil. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, 
That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And then going to chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, Susanna, and others who were supporting them from their possessions. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his words. Now, do any of you have a dog or you had a dog in your life? Dogs are wonderful pets. We've got two. We've got dachshunds, wiener dogs. They're ornery as ever. Spoiled, too. Her fault. <laughs> but a dog can make a house feel like a real home. But sometimes, dogs, just like children, they misbehave. They act up, especially when they're puppies. Now, puppies like to play, they become rambunctious, and sometimes they do bad things like digging holes and dragging mud into the house or chewing up things like your new set of shoes, which our puppy dog has done several times. <laughs> you may be upset with your dog when they do these naughty things, but at the same time, you love them. Dogs can look very sad. That's where they get the term puppy dog eyes because they just, you know, they look very sad when you scold them. And you may think just how loyal and how loving your dog has been. A dog can show unconditional love. No matter if you have just scolded it and like that, the dog still comes right back a few minutes later and just loves you like nothing ever happened. And whenever you come in the house, the tail's wagging and they're barking and carrying on and they just love to see you. You may have only been stepping out on the front porch for 30 seconds, but to them, you've been gone all day, and they just love to see you back. Your dog treats you like you are the most important person ever in the world. And even though you don't approve what your dog has done when they tear up your shoes or whatever, you still love them and you forgive them. Now, there's a wonderful story we're talking about in the Bible today, and it's about forgiveness. Jesus is criticized for letting this woman who is a sinner even get close to him and even touch him. <clears throat> Jesus knew that this woman had a lot of sins. But he says to her in verse 48 of our text today, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And see, Jesus offers us this unconditional love and this forgiveness to each one of us. Our faith saves us and gives us peace. And when we ask to be forgiven for something bad that we've done, a bad choice we made or a sin we've done, maybe we've hurt somebody, Jesus still forgives us because he loves us. Now this woman was known around town as a sinner. And she kind of walks in on this banquet that Simon, who was a Pharisee, was giving to some important people in town, and Jesus was invited. And she comes in, and she just kind of wait, makes her way into this party and, and seeks Jesus out. 
and starts washing his feet with her hair, and with her tears, and with this real expensive perfumed oil. And she just kisses his feet and she anoints them. Now, let me ask you guys, how would you feel if you was at a party and some woman, some strange woman comes in and starts doing this to you? It would kind of make you feel a little uncomfortable, wouldn't it? Especially if your wife's sitting right there. <laughs> and then if you knew this woman had a, a certain reputation, and that would make you even more uncomfortable. And the woman would be invading your personal space, wouldn't she? She would be doing something that you don't really approve of. And she's making a spectacle of herself by crying and and kissing your feet and all this, it kind of make you feel uncomfortable. But what would you do? How would you respond to that? And then women, I mean, what if you saw your, your husband or your man get accosted this way by a woman, what would you do? How would you feel? You'd probably want to get up and just kind of clock her, wouldn't you? And get away from my man. But what if you were the host of this important party. You had all these important guests there and you were hosting this party and then someone comes in and interrupts your party by doing this to one of your guests. How would you feel then? You might feel like, man, you know, I've got a party crasher here. I don't really approve of that. I didn't invite them. See, the thing is, everything this woman did had sexual overtones. Her weeping, was out of control emotion. And who knows what brought it on, what caused her to come in doing this. She let her hair down to wipe the tears from Jesus' feet. And that was over the top in their society because in that day, a woman only let her hair down at night in the presence of her husband. And she never did it in public because that was a sign that they were getting ready to do some he and she. And in that time and place, if a woman did that, she wasn't very well liked. And then she starts kissing Jesus' feet and then pouring this expensive perfume on it. The perfume that she was pouring on it was actually reserved for funerals. It was such a fragrant perfume. And yet she had this real expensive perfume and she starts pouring it on Jesus' feet. And I'm sure that all the men sitting around this table, because women wasn't really well-liked in that society, they didn't have a good place, so it was all men. And they was probably wondering, what's going on here? Very possibly, some of them knew this woman professionally. Some scholars say the woman was a prostitute. So some of the men, they were some of the rich and affluent men of the time in this town, they may have went to this woman for services at one time or another, and they was afraid that maybe she might come around to them next after they get, she gets done with Jesus. And so they try to kind of sulk down and try not to be seen. Now, all four Gospels includes accounts of Jesus being anointed with oil by women. Luke's account, however, is sufficiently different because... Uh, it's treated as a, a separate incident uh, rather than going along with something else. The anointing in the other Gospels takes place really late in Jesus' ministry. And it serves as an anointing for Jesus' burial. Now in Luke's account, the anointing takes place much earlier. 
And then the anointing in the other Gospels takes place in Bethany, which is in Judea. Luke's account isn't named, but we know that from the Gospel uh, accounts, Jesus had recently been to Capernaum. And so we think this anointing here where the woman got him was in Galilee. In Matthew and Mark, the host is Simon the leper. But in Luke's account, he's Simon the Pharisee. Now, it's possible that it's the same man, but probably not likely. Because lepers were outcast. They weren't allowed to be in society, and they usually wouldn't have been rich and affluent people. The Pharisees was right up there with the high religious elite. So they helped make religious law and helped keep it. So more than likely, he's the Pharisee. The other Gospels don't report the woman's behavior, such as the weeping and the kissing and the wiping the feet and all. So it's hard to imagine how one of the other Gospel lessons doesn't include these details. The objection is raised in the other Gospels has to do with stewardship of this expensive ointment, this fragrant oil, because it was really too costly for a normal person to own, and you would normally only get it when you was burying someone. But here, this woman who has a bad reputation, she has this. So more than likely, she had enough money at one time to buy this oil. Or it was given to her in exchange for services. You know, bartering's been around for a long time. The other Gospels also don't report the parable of the debtors. And they don't emphasize the forgiveness of sin, which is the main crux of what Luke is telling us today. Now, it's important to remember the context here. First, the chapter begins by devoting to portraying Jesus as being greater than any prophet. Now, Jesus knows when this woman comes in, he already knows who she is. He knows her heart. He knows she's sin. And he knows that all this, not just by observing, like pulling a Sherlock Holmes, he already knows. The same way he knows the sins of his host, Simon the Pharisee, who tries to hide all of this. He puts all of his skeletons in a closet, and he doesn't want his friends to know that he might have visited this woman one time, or he might have done something inappropriate. And he's putting on an air that, I'm better than all of you because I've never done this. But Jesus knows within his heart what Simon's done. And most people, when they look at Simon the Pharisee, they can't see anything but a very respectable man because that's the kind of vision that he gives everybody. Jesus also forgives sin, which makes him greater than any prophet because of the day all prophets did was to tell what God was saying because God only talked to the prophets and so a prophet wouldn't go around forgiving you of sins because that would be too much for them. I mean, that's kind of a high priest kind of job. Even they didn't do that very often. Now, secondly, in verse 34, we establish that Jesus is criticized as being a gluttonous man, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And this story really confirms that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And this becomes a reoccurring theme here in Luke. Now we look at Simon, the Pharisee. He's the host of this party. He was one of the most 
religious men in town. And he was of a paragon of virtue. He had done nothing wrong. Simon observed higher standards for himself. And he expected everyone to not only see that he was better than them, but to see that they were under him. They weren't as good as him. He invited Jesus to dinner because Jesus' reputation was growing at the time. And he was growing as a prophet, not only as a teacher and a rabbi, but a prophet. He had doubts this young upstart Jesus uh, could do anything. So he invites him to dinner, and he would tell by just talking to Jesus what kind of person he was. Then this woman appears on the scene right there at Simon's table with her outrageous behavior. That was embarrassing for Simon, and it also ruined his entire evening. But it did give an opportunity to Simon to see exactly how Jesus would remain and would take care of this situation. Jesus had a reputation for always finding the right words for any situation and making it right. It'd be interesting to see how Jesus worked his way out of this one. So Simon's watching him very carefully. But Jesus responded by doing nothing at all. He just didn't say anything. He didn't shoot the woman away. He didn't say, excuse me, I'll be right back. I'll take care of this and we'll carry on. He acted as if this woman's behavior is completely natural. This is what was supposed to happen. And like I said, some scholars assume this woman had been a prostitute because a prostitution was a way that women that were not married, that didn't have a source of income, that in those days would make money. And it would be, it would be a way of supporting herself. Now, Simon knew everything at this point that he needed to know. He didn't say anything to Jesus, but he thought it to himself. He says, this man, if he were a prophet, would have already perceived what kind of woman this is who touches him because she's a sinner. Now, we've got to note Simon's concern with what kind of woman is touching Jesus. Simon categories people, and he relates to them according to their station in life. So if you are a farmer, you were really low on his list. If you was a high priest, you was pretty high on his list because you had a high station in life. If you were a slave, you didn't really exist in that society. So Jesus, though, sees people as individuals. He doesn't relate to them as anything but another human being. Now Simon determines that Jesus cannot be a prophet because he fails to rebuff this woman. He fails to push her off, get rid of her advances, and to rebuke her. Now either Jesus doesn't know what kind of woman is touching him, or he doesn't care. Either way, it disqualifies him as being a prophet. And this goes on to the heart of the part of Luke's gospel here, which is concerned to show that Jesus is not only a prophet, but he's greater than any prophet. And actually, you didn't have to be a prophet to figure out what was going here. And that's why Jesus did nothing to stop her. If this man were a prophet, like Simon was saying, he would have realized Jesus really was a prophet because he proved not only to know what the woman was, 
what was her heart like, but he proved that he knew what Simon was thinking. Only a prophet could do that because God would have been telling the prophet, this is what this person's doing. So Jesus tells this parable, which was really a riddle, and about a creditor had two debtors. One owed a fair amount of money. A denarii in that day was about $100 in our money today. So this one owned five or owed 500 denarii. So that's about five grand that he owed, the other one about 50. So we look here, the creditor forgives both debts. Jesus asked Simon, which of them did they love most? Well, the one that forgive, I suppose, is what Simon says. And Jesus says, you're right, because the one that was forgiven the most will love back the most. Jesus goes on to remind Simon that he's the host, and he had shown Jesus none of the expected courtesies of the day. They walked everywhere. They wore sandals, and it was dirt roads and dusty. And when you walked into a person's house that you was invited to, the first thing they would do would have a slave wash your feet because your feet would be dusty. And then the host would give you a courtesy kiss, probably on the cheek. And then they would anoint your head with oil, kind of like we do the anointings today in, in different churches. But they would do that to show that you are a revered guest. You're there at their invitation. He reminds, G, he reminds Simon, you didn't do any of this for me. This woman comes in and she starts washing my feet and kissing them and wiping them down with her hair and crying. You didn't do anything. And here she's doing it all. He's telling Simon, you don't love me. That's why you didn't do any of this. You don't respect me. He invited Jesus to his table to get a better look at him, to check him out, if you would. But this woman did know Jesus. Jesus had seen her before, but not just at this encounter at Simon's house. And it's not the encounter that Simon thought because when Simon heard that he had met this woman before, the first thing in his mind was, Jesus went to a prostitute. Well, that's not the way it worked. There was an occasion for forgiveness that Jesus had met her before. He had not taken advantage of this woman, but he had helped turn her life around. He had given her a, a new sense of who she could be and given her hope and had forgiven her and helped her to forgive herself. And so she loved Jesus. And she loved him as we would love anyone that would save our lives. The story kind of reminds me of the musical Man of La Mancha. Now in this story, Don Quixote is a crazy old man who thinks of himself as being a knight. When he and his squire stop at a roadside inn, Quixote meets Aldonza. She's a coarse woman who makes her living serving men food and warming up their beds. And when Quixote looks at her, he doesn't see her as a coarse woman. He rather sees her as the woman of his dreams. He calls her Dulcinea. That means sweet. 
And he tells her she's wonderful and that she will be his lady. Now, Dulcinea says, I'm not your lady. I'm not any kind of lady. I'm the most casual bride of the murdering scum of the earth, she says. But Quixote, he refuses to accept her estimate of herself and invites her to dream an impossible dream. And little by little, straining against every instinct that she has, Aldonza catches herself starting to dream, seeing this vision, this hoping the hope, wanting to hold on to the affection that Quixote has shown her. And little by little, Aldonza fades away and Dulcinea emerges to take her place. Towards the end of the story, Quixote dies. When Quixote's squire speaks to Aldonza, she turns and says, My name is Dulcinea. She has in the end become exactly what Don Quixote had seen her to be. And her life was redeemed thereby. You see, love transforms and love makes us better. Now, of course, Dulcinea's story is fictitious, but it's based on a true story. Thousands of true stories, millions of true stories where love transformed and love makes us better. It's hard not to love someone who loves you, who accepts you for who you are, but sees a vision of something better and forgives your sins and helps you become less of a sinner. When I read through our gospel lesson today, I was surprised to see the first three chapters of chapter 8 tapped onto the story of this forgiven woman, which we find in chapter 7. But then, after looking at it and reading and studying a little bit, I start to see the connection. After leaving Simon's house, Jesus goes on a preaching mission. Luke tells us in uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, with him were the twelve, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzas, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who served them from their possessions. Now, do you hear the connection? Did you see the connection there? Again, at the end of it, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Jesus had transformed these women's lives just like he transformed the life of the woman at the dinner table. Now, we know very little about each of these women except that Jesus made a difference in their lives. And they responded by making a difference in other people's lives. Luke says that they served Jesus and his disciples from their possessions. Now, although women were subordinate in that society, they played an important role in the gospel, where from the very first chapter, they'll continue to play an important role in Luke's sequel, in the Acts of the Apostles. Now, Luke also notes that Joanna is the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart. Now, that was a significant station in life. The women served them from the possessions means that while it's possible to interpret their support as being subordinate, kind of a demeaning role, they more likely was essential in their support to, God, to, to Jesus and the Twelve by responding with their gratitude and their help and their love. And these faithful women was women that, whose sins had been forgiven. And they responded in gratitude back to Jesus, and they loved Jesus. It'd be interesting to know what the impact of women for Christ over the past century 
through resources that they have raised and witnesses that they've given. How many missionaries have been enabled to go out to the field and how many homeless people have been sheltered and how many hungry people have been fed and how much Christian fellowship have they enabled? How many church doors are open because of these women, their generosity, and how many people know Christ because of their efforts? All my life I've seen Christian women providing for Jesus' work out of their own resources. In most cases, they didn't have any money, and they gave everything they could. They gave nickels and dimes and dollars. But I'm convinced that those small offerings from millions of Christian women have, over time, transformed more lives than all the world's great fortunes. You know, they tell of like people like Mother Teresa, who didn't have any money at all, but yet she started AIDS Foundation type hospitals to help people with AIDS. And she's got several of those around the world now that because of her few little pennies, she started these foundations and she, through her love of Christ, have helped many others. These women didn't just give their money, but first they gave their hearts. And when they gave their hearts and their money to Christ, a miracle then happened. And Christ touched them, just like He touched the loaves and the fishes by the seaside, and multiplied them to become equal to the great task, sufficient to feed thousands of people. Jesus forgave the sinful woman and changed her life. Jesus cured these women of evil spirits, and He changed their lives. And Christ comes today offering His love, hoping that you'll let Him change your life. And if you will let Him, He'll make more of you than you ever thought you could ever be. Doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman or rich or poor, seven or seventy, or older. In Christ's hands, everything is possible. Everything is possible with Christ. That's our Lord's message for this Lord's day. Hope you got a blessing out of it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you so much for your words today. We know that you will forgive us and you'll continue to love us. And we just ask, Lord, that you can allow us to also give the unconditional love back, not only to you, but to others as well. We just ask that you be with us each and every day and help us to remember this message. We ask this in your Son, Jesus' precious name. Amen. Go out this week, be a blessing and be blessed, because the more you're a blessing, the more you will be blessed. Thank you all for coming. We'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you for watching and listening to Dr. Rob White with the AULC Ministries. Athens Universal Life Church is a not-for-profit 501c3 organization. This production is a AULC Studios video production. Copyright 2012-2024. All rights reserved. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.